Hello and welcome to the Research and Innovation Podcast. My name is Dr. Dana Falizade and I'm an Associate Professor at Leeds University Business School. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Manhal Ali, to discuss the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic for global inequalities in work and employment. The talk will be based on our recently published paper. Hello, Manhal. Great to speak to you today. Hi, Danat. How are you? Great to be here. Good. Good. Thank you. I will begin with a quick introduction to the problem that we're going to discuss today. COVID-19 came as a shock to nation states around the globe, resulting in unprecedented, at least in recent history, economic and public health measures. The impact on workers was particularly significant. Large proportion of people switched to remote working, while many were furloughed or lost their jobs. A common phrase at the beginning of the pandemic was, we're all in this together. However, it very quickly transpired that we're not. Within countries, we have seen deep inequalities between professional occupations, most of whom were able to work remotely with no loss of income, and so-called essential workers who were at the front line. We have seen huge disparities in wage distribution between these groups of workers, and it came as a shock to many how poorly paid some of the essential workers are. Apart from inequalities within countries, perhaps the most significant challenges were between countries, where, as we know now, the poorest countries in the world suffer disproportionately, including their workers. So in our study, we sought to estimate and explain such inequalities between countries when it comes to people's jobs. We focused specifically at the beginning of the pandemic, because at that time, it wasn't obvious that the poorest countries will suffer more, because they were not as significantly affected by the virus itself. So we found some very interesting trends and dynamics. Manhal, what were the key findings in terms of differences between richer countries and poorer countries in how workers suffered from the pandemic? Yes, that's right, Donat. So what happened was that the COVID-19 was something which was completely unprecedented and it had huge impact on the labor market as far as people's employment were concerned. And around the globe, we saw a huge increase on unemployment at the onset of the pandemic. A lot of the people were left out, businesses were shut, people were furloughed, etc., etc. However, the key finding in our paper is that the effect was not evenly distributed. There were talk about global inequality before the pandemic, and after the pandemic, the inequality has further exacerbated. What we see is that although every country suffered in terms of high employment after the pandemic, but it was not evenly distributed. What we saw in the data was that certain countries, they suffered more relative to other countries. And we explained that uneven impact using the world systems theory. The world system theory, it categorizes countries, whether they are core countries, periphery, or semi-periphery countries. Core countries are countries that have industries that are highly capital intensive. They have high skilled labor workforce. And as a consequence, they were much more able to withstand the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the labor market. In contrast, periphery and semi-periphery country, as per the world systems theory, these countries are countries that are characterized by industries that are highly labor intensive, low skilled, 
subservient states characterized by high stringent labor regulations, which we'll come back to later, also large share of shadow and informal economy. Because of this characteristic that categorize countries, depending on whether they're core, periphery, semi-periphery, the periphery and semi-periphery countries, they were affected a lot more. The, the labor market was further exposed to pandemic. And that's the core result that we see, that is the Globally, every country, they were not immune from this crisis on the labor market, but some countries were fared much more worse off compared to other countries. Yeah, I think that was kind of really the core, the key finding. And the importance of it is that the actions taken in richer core countries at the beginning of the pandemic resonated through the world. I think that's a particularly significant finding, Manhal, namely that the actions taken by core states at the beginning of the pandemic to shut the economy down, to spend a significant amount of money to support the population. Those same actions, they resonated through the world economy, resulting in a much more significant income and job loss in periphery and semi-periphery states, who, again, didn't have the same financial economic means to support the population because they were in a, in a subordinate position. And we found that the scale of that is really quite significant. We're talking about two, three times higher impact on periphery and semi-periphery countries, where, again, the virus was not as widespread as it was at the beginning of the pandemic in, in, in the Western world. So that was kind of one very significant finding. The other thing we looked at is, well, okay, what can actually explain that? Apart from the obvious economic disparity between the countries, what are the other factors that can help us understand why at the very beginning of the pandemic, some countries made decisions that protected their workers better from from the downfall related to COVID-19? And one such factor was political, political ideology or political orientation. Now, why political orientation or political leaders are important? Because at the beginning of the pandemic, our knowledge of the potential consequences of the virus, the severity of the virus was very limited. In fact, there was very little credible scientific evidence about what will happen if we say, let the virus flow through the society. At this point in time, decision as to, decisions as to when and how to react and to what extent the workers need protection were largely political. We have seen to some degree by anecdotal evidence that some political leaders kept denying the, the existence of COVID, the importance of COVID for quite a long time, for several months at the beginning of the pandemic, while others acted more decisively. We look specifically at the extent to which political leaders across core periphery and semi-periphery states, broadly speaking, right-wing populist or they profess the right-wing populist ideology, that is based on the juxtaposition of the people against the elites, and it's a constant struggle, and they position themselves as the voice and representatives of the ordinary people. Now, the key problem with that type of ideology is that it is naturally averse to scientific evidence in that it is seen as very elitist. We have seen how, for example, Donald Trump, who is a classic example of a right-wing populist leader. At the onset of the pandemic, in multiple interviews and speeches, consistently denied the severity of the pandemic and refused to act upon it for a significant period of time. But that's not obviously just Donald Trump. There are other populist leaders around the world, including 
populist leaders in Brazil, India, and some African countries too. So what we have done, we've pulled the data to see how exactly those countries reacted to the pandemic and then try to link it to the extent to which it hit the workers. And somewhat unsurprisingly, we found that countries with strong right-wing populist leadership significantly delayed their intervention in the labor market. They first delayed their public health interventions, and secondly, they delayed support measures to workers quite significantly compared to similar countries that didn't have right-wing populist leaders. We have then been able to link that to the likelihood of workers losing their paid work. And the results there were quite significant too. So we have been able to show that the type of political leadership and the extent to which a given political leader supports right-wing populist beliefs actually affected workers at the beginning of the pandemic quite significantly. But that was not the only uh, finding. We also looked at the institutional foundations of the labor market, the extent to which labor market policies and collective bargaining were strong before the global crisis. What have we found there, Manhau? Yeah, that's right. So there were several mitigating factors. One of them you've touched already done it on the extent of political populism. The other two factors that you've alluded to were labor market democracy, which we proxy by collective bargaining. The idea is that greater the degree of collective bargaining, more the voice that the employees or the trade unions have. And as a consequence, greater they're able to enact measures and quickly to protect their workers or to insulate the workers from the adverse consequence of pandemic. The idea is the in lay terms that it's, it, the idea is quite simple. So the higher the bargaining power that you have amongst the employees, more they are able to, you know, uh, enact policies such as uh, labor, such as job protection schemes or income support policies to protect their workers. And that's one of the mechanisms or mitigating factors that could uh, ameliorate the adverse consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic on the labor market. Additionally, we also looked at the role of labor market policies, which proxies the regulation or the efficiency of the labor markets. And we found that countries that have efficient labor market policies that ensures fluidity or efficient working of the labor market were in a much better position to withstand or negate the negative consequence of the COVID pandemic on the workers. So, so labor market policies here basically means to what extent the regulations are less stringent in terms of hiring employees, matching employees with the potential employers. The greater the efficiency of the labor market, lower the adverse consequences of the pandemic on the workers. Yeah, thanks. I think that is, again, another very interesting finding, and particularly the one that concerns labor market policies, because the way the poorest countries' periphery and semi-periphery responded to the pandemic was primarily by means of cash flows to the population, whereas in richer core countries, people were essentially insulated, protected from job loss by various types of furlough or protection schemes, where companies are compensated significant part of labor costs, and then people just you know, continue to receive substantial means of support while still formally being in employment. Many of those options were not available at the beginning to periphery and semi-periphery states, primarily because the share of informal self-employed workers is very high. In some countries like India, South Africa, it can be up to 80-90% of people will be employed either informally or they will be self-employed. 
So the same means of support, even if we assume those countries had enough money in the pocket, were not available technically. And it's interesting that in countries where extensive labor market policies that aimed at placing the unemployed back into work existed, they found a way to support their population better. For example, to create public sector jobs for many displaced informal workers. Now, similar periphery, semi-periphery countries that haven't invested as much in, in labor market policies struggled more and the impact on workers, particularly informal workers, was more severe. And, and interestingly, somewhat similar tendency happens even in richer countries. So countries that invested before the pandemic in the types of labor market programs that help the unemployed back into work, classic examples will be in continental Europe, countries like Denmark. Those countries were able to adjust to the new reality quite quickly and enact policies, furlough schemes that covered wider population. Whereas countries that invested less so in active labor market policies, again, in richer countries, the classic examples will be United States, United Kingdom. They did act and they did act reasonably well. Those policies at first left out significant proportions of the populations and they were then amended and amended and amended throughout the pandemic, thereby allowing more people to suffer and lose their jobs. So the impact of labor market policies was quite quite significant in that respect. And so is the worker voice. So these were the main findings that we, we have arrived at in the, in the paper. What do you think, Manhal, are the key lessons for any future global shocks from our study? Yes. So coming from the perspective of labor market and policies and labor market democracy, I think the key lesson going forward in the future is how to withstand or negate such adverse consequences of the labor market. We have seen a massive increase in inequality post the COVID-19 pandemic. So the million dollar question is how we can prevent such acts from happening again. Well, I guess one policy could be is to improve the labor market democracy, give more voice to the employees to protect or insulate themselves from the negative consequences. The second factor is to improve the quality of the labor market institutions to remove some of the bureaucracy or the red tape that makes business difficult to hire or fire employees and also to ensure better matching of employees with the potential employers, employers are more quickly be able to hire employees whenever there is a vacancy. So all in all, to improve the efficiency of the labor market, to remove some of the regulations or stringencies that make it very difficult for the employers to hire people. I guess another important factor is that that could be taken to mitigate is to adopt a much more data-driven policy. What happened in countries, for example, in India and other developing countries that have a large share of informal sector, hence periphery, semi-periphery countries, is that at the onset of the pandemic, these countries adopted a blanket policy. So they introduced lockdown measures or public health intervention measures across all the countries. However, we have seen that certain regions or states, for example, in India, they were hardly touched by the COVID-19 pandemic, yet the workers especially the workers working in the poor sectors or migrant workers, they have suffered a lot, which has further exacerbated the labor market or employment crisis. So I guess going forward in the future to withstand or better deal with this pandemic, we need a much more data-driven policy to understand which regions are more adversely affected. So that allows us to take a much more surgical 
option rather than imposing a blanket lockdown that has caused immense sufferings to the people or the employees, especially in the poor, developing, or in the context of wall systems theories, uh, periphery countries. Thank you, Manhal. And I couldn't agree more with you on that. I guess the other thing that we should be mindful of is the extent to which decisions made in the economically most developed countries, to what extent and how much they affect other countries in the world. There is a lot of talk nowadays about some global, more sort of collaborative approach to vaccine rollout or public health measures. We think that the same can be applied to socioeconomic measures, particularly labor protection, in the sense that a single poorer country um, somewhere in the periphery states doesn't have the necessary means to support itself. Whereas a more coordinated approach to some basic measures in global shocks will definitely help to mitigate the negative effect on the world economy and on the workers in the poorest part of the world. I guess that, that that's sort of one lesson we have to learn from that. The other lesson is, of course, the importance of political decision making. I mean, we're not for a second trying to tell, don't vote for that politician or don't vote for this politician or don't vote for a populist. That is up to the people to decide. However, countries might think about some um, legislative means, templates or social policy actions that effectively get enacted almost immediately in case of future comparable shocks where countries don't have to rely on the political machine or on a political leader to initiate or make such a decision. Having, again, a more systematic approach here will definitely help to shield us from future pandemics. And as Manhal said, being a bit more nuanced in the way we respond to future global shocks. And I think these are preliminary lessons, but we will have to learn a lot more from the pandemic. And we're only now beginning to understand what does it mean to live in a post-COVID world and how changing shifts and patterns of work will affect global inequalities. Thank you for listening to us today. Thank you.